0: Welcome to the Cashflow Canucks podcast, where Canadian entrepreneurs and investors come to learn about wealth creation. Experts in their fields will join your host, Peter Lount to share their successes, challenges,
1: and discuss opportunities.
0: Join me and my guest, Stephanie Sims, as we talk about where you can get the right funding to grow your business. Stephanie is a speaker, author, podcast host, and the founder of FinanceAbility, She helps entrepreneurs find the money they need by helping them build their knowledge, tools and self-awareness. She's going to give some useful advice on raising capital. Welcome and enjoy. All right, today on Cashflow Canucks, we have Stephanie Sims. Stephanie, welcome.
1: Hi, Peter, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Awesome, Um, can you share with the guests just a little bit about yourself, what you do and a bit about your journey?
1: Well, it's been long, but sure, I'll try to shrink it down. Um, I spent about a decade in investment banking, and then I spent about a decade working for a company that was in the high-tech manufacturing space that was funded by both venture capitalists and angel investors, which was then sold to a publicly traded company. So I got to see what I call the investment game, although it very rarely feels like a game. It feels more like life or death. Uh, I got to see that game from both sides. And using that experience and the fact that my parents were also entrepreneurs, that those things really um, kind of spoke to me about the fact that small business owners and startups, entrepreneurs, really don't benefit from all of the financial knowledge that people in the quote finance world have. And I wanted to solve that problem. And that's really where I work now is trying to help entrepreneurs um, understand the funding world and find the money that they need to grow their business.
0: And so you're talking about getting your actual, um, is it, are you talking about loans or are you saying actual capital investment from investors into the company?
1: That's a, that's a great question because a lot of people feel like those things are all separate. And one of the things I try to teach my clients is that there's a continuum of, a continuum of funding right? Whether you're bootstrapping, whether you're borrowing, right? Loans or you're betting, which is what I call getting equity investment. The approach that you need to take is relatively similar and nobody gets one type of capital, just like you wouldn't want one type of client. You want to make sure that you're getting the right mix of capital that's appropriate for your business.
0: Okay. And um, so you're basically the, you, you um, I guess, make the connection and formulate the deal for for the two parties. Is that right?
1: So I'm not a broker because I did that in a previous life. Totally, totally not my jam. Um, What I do now is I'm firmly on the side of the entrepreneur and my mission is to help them first off, identify the right kind of money that they should be looking for. And and I don't know um, if you work with a lot of business owners, but these days most business owners are convinced that the only way to fund their business is through angel or venture capital, right? Because that's what we all hear about. Um, but the reality is that only only 1% of the businesses that, uh, that apply for venture capital generally get it. And so this concept that that's the right funding mechanism for everyone is just very misleading. And so what I try to do is help them figure out, hey, where could I get this money? And where's the best place for me to get it?
0: And so would that be... Banks, other private lenders, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, in a lot of cases, people forget that they can leverage their clients, right? I mean, like a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I need outside funding. And my first question is always, okay, well, are there ways that you could get creative in how you work with your clients, right? Could you package things up so that you're getting a bigger upfront payment? Could you change your payment terms? Could you offer a bigger value add service? And then you can also look at banks, other private lenders. Another way to leverage your clients that a lot of people are using, especially now, um, right now we're in the midst of a, of a pandemic, which means that people can't get out and about the way that they were previously. But one way to leverage your client base is through crowdfunding, uh, whether that's prize, what's called prize-based crowdfunding, where, for example, you offer some sort of subscription or access to your product or service to your clients. Or you could actually, uh, at least in the U.S., use something called equity crowdfunding, where you can have uh, people invest very small amounts. People who are not accredited investors can invest very small amounts of capital into your business in exchange for actual shareholding.
0: Okay, so there is other than so there are other options like a micro at a microfunding level from an individual. You can do it without being accredited because that's obviously a common um, gate for people to get in.
1: Right. And, and a lot of this is related to how you approach the investors themselves. Um, and so you do have to be careful, right? Because you, know, you can't take out a Craigslist ad and just be like, hey, who wants to invest in my company? Uh, but if you, if you use the appropriate methods, then yeah, you can have people who are unaccredited investors actually investing in your business. And quite often for businesses that have a loyal following, that's a great way for them to grow as opposed to trying to raise institutional capital
0: okay. and is it um, I guess what type of person is or what type of business owner is looking for your service is it um, you know is it is it a product based company is it service is it retail is it online is it in a certain industry have you is it do you, do you have a niche within that or are there certain people that are looking for that help
1: so that's a great question and it's always um, an opportunity for learning on my part. Um, I like to work with people who feel that they could use my help. But what I've discovered is that I'm usually most successful with people that are looking to raise uh, $250,000 or more, uh, usually up to say a series, a a larger series, a round. Once they get into series B, quite often they have um, internal resources that they feel more comfortable with. And uh, so that, that's kind of the area that I can help people most. Usually those folks are gonna be probably in a high growth mode, meaning that they may be technology based, so software as a service or something like that. But I've also successfully worked with some product companies who are uh, in that high growth mode as well and are really seeing ways to leverage the institutional um, capital that they could raise to, to move their business to the next level.
0: And so it's usually, it's, a, it's usually companies that are established, not just an idea, but it's more about scaling a business.
1: Yeah. And I think this is one of the really challenging things um, in the investment space is sometimes we'll, we'll hear stories out of Silicon Valley, like, you know, so-and-so took a pitch deck and an ID on a napkin and raised $5 million. Um, I would say that may happen, but the reality is that quite often that's not the full story. So say that you're a successful multiple exit founder right? If you've successfully raised capital in the past, you've exited, meaning you've sold the company and made money for those investors, and you go back to them and say, hey, here's my next great idea, then yes, you might be able to raise money off a pitch deck and a napkin. But for folks who, who aren't in that position, then I would suggest that you need to be further along. Um, quite, quite often now the expectation, even from early stage investors, is that you have a functional product or at least a very functional prototype that is being actively used by your target client. They don't necessarily have to be paying you, but you need to actually be in a relationship with the folks who will be eventually purchasing your product before investors are gonna be convinced that you're far enough along.
0: Okay, are you, um, you location-based? or can you No, I work with, with I
1: work with folks pretty much everywhere. Um, I actually spent about a decade in Europe, so I still have some folks I work with over there. And then my clients are right now around the southwest, but I've actually worked with people all over.
0: And how are you expanding that client list? Is it word of mouth typically or how do you
1: So that's a great that's a great question and of course we're always looking for opportunities to connect with people. So um, I to I talk to folks like you. On podcasts, I also do a lot of education because there are a lot of sort of misnomers or misconceptions about the investment world, like the one we just discussed. Right? You know, all I need is a pitch deck and 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 a warm intro, and and I'm golden. Um, So I try to be as useful as I can. I try to make sure that uh, the folks that need my help can get access to it. Uh, So one of the things I'm also looking at doing this year is uh, producing more leveraged offerings because for some people that makes more sense as opposed to working with me one-on-one. So I'm testing some workshops and some group programs that would allow people to get the education and make the progress they need in a more do-it-yourself fashion.
0: So multiple to one, okay, and allows you to scale as well in a way as well, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, the one other, my sort of passion project is uh, I'm working on a, a software platform that would actually allow business owners to, accurately model their, their financial growth, but in a way that actually makes sense to them, not just their accountant.
0: Okay. And you, so I guess you'll have to, this kind of leads to the next question anyways, I think based on what you're just talking about, how um, regulated is your industry?
1: Well, that's part of the reason that I'm not interested in being a broker. Um, Because if I chose to be a broker, then obviously there are a lot of regulations that go with that. Another common misconception that people I talk to run into is that they think that just anyone can act as a broker, right? They think that, oh, okay, this person said they want, you know, half a percent of my raise to go introduce me to this investor over here. Um, and so I would encourage anyone who is who is approached with that type of transaction to ensure that you are working with somebody who's licensed to do that type of transaction, uh, particularly here in the U.S. The SEC has gotten a lot more interested in who's getting paid on any particular capital transaction and you can get yourself um, into a lot of trouble just using someone like that to raise money if they don't happen to be registered.
0: Okay. Talk to me about what's happening now. A lot of people are, you know, there's obviously a big transition happening right now. um, But I suspect there's probably lots of ideas that are coming out of this time. So there's, there's ideas. Is there, ready access to capital? Is there a lot of cap, is there capital out there that people are looking to invest into new ideas at this time?
1: So capital is kind of a big word, right? You know, and, and I get what you're saying, yeah. but I think, I think it also depends on um, what you're talking about. So one of the things that I have seen is that there are quite a few folks who have either uh, created a fund or who are using some of their existing funds to invest in specific resources related to COVID right so obviously we all know that there's there's huge needs around ppe there's huge needs around vaccine and treatment and so i think a lot of those folks who who have an immediate need kind of built up demand for their product are going to get a lot of attention and have red, ready access to capital as long as uh, as long as their idea or their approach is sound
0: what what about other i was thinking even just outside of covid in general um, are there other ideas that you're seeing that are coming out of it that are not very specific to frontline workers, healthcare workers, all that? Like, are there other things that you've seen that have come out of it or are we still a bit away from that?
1: Um, do you mean, do you mean business ideas or do you yeah, mean just business like, ideas. Fo- yeah, just in general. no, yeah. just
0: in general, like just new business ideas, like everything's going, seems to be going. There's a big jump to online, lots of zoom calls, All of, all those types of things. You know, I suspect as we come out of it, there'll be less of that, but there'll be it'll be way more than we were before COVID as well, though, right?
1: Yeah, well, and I think it's an interesting I think it's an interesting question because nobody really knows. There's a lot of people I think who initially were like, "Oh, we just have to kind of hold our breath for six to eight weeks, and then everything's going to go back the way it was." Uh, and I think most people are recognizing that, regardless of what happens, it's not going to be exactly like it was right? So there's going to be, uh, one of the things I have heard about is that a lot of organizations are expecting sort of hybrid events. In other words, uh, let's say you were going to have a conference and initially you were going to have a thousand people there. Even if you can safely host that conference, it may be that 50% of those people just choose not to participate in person. And how do you ensure that you can integrate the experience for them virtually with the experience of the people in the physical space, right? How do you kind of Adapt that experience so that it's worthwhile and valuable to both parties. So I think that's an interesting space. I haven't seen someone come up um, with a solution for it in particular, but I think that's, a, that's one of the new challenges. And another thing that I've seen, um, someone I know successfully pivoted, uh, it's, it was a company that did employee wellness, right? So it was really an, an employee retention program, but it was massage, right? So it was hands-on. Well, so of course, as soon as as soon as this all happened, they had a huge problem because they weren't able to actually do the treatments that that they had been contracted for. And what they've done is they've shifted to almost a a hundred percent virtual uh, wellness program that they're offering to their clients. But that's more adapted for the fact that everyone is remote working and that there are challenges around both personal health and well being, but also around culture and how do we keep people connected. At a time when our workforce is no longer in the same physical space so that's one of the interesting pivots that i've seen there
0: how how about yourself in general um maybe not specific to what you do but do you see you talked about your journey from where you came from right in terms of investment banking your parents influence as entrepreneurs where do you see yourself going for the next you know a couple years or five years from
1: now Um, that's, that's always a tough question, right? You can say plenty of stuff for other people, but it's always challenging to think about your own, your own journey. Um, I really feel like the direction forward for me is to create these leverage programs and ultimately to build the software platform. Um, first off, because I really want to help more people. And I do feel like, uh, while I love working one-on-one with my clients, I feel like that's, um, that's challenging, right? You can't scale that. And I do feel like, more data is gonna help affect bigger change in the, the fundraising arena. I mean, I'm sure you've probably heard about this, you know, there are, there's a lot of inequity in the way that capital is distributed. Um, a lot of it has to do with pattern matching and when the people who are doing the pattern matching are people who've had a very nice education and who live in a certain area of the country and who have a certain demographic, that means that people who don't look like them or come from those backgrounds don't always get access to capital. Um, and so one of my hopes is that through building more of a data-based approach to investing, because the founders can communicate more accurately, hey, here's what my business is really worth and here's what we're doing, that will be able to solve some of those problems too.
0: When you're working with any of these um, the companies, how can you talk about kind of, I guess everybody has a different journey in terms of success rate of these projects?
1: Sure. In terms of how many people get successfully funded?
0: Yeah. Like I I think as entrepreneurs, there's always one is like successfully funded. Then do you follow through the life cycle of that company? Like how does that work for you?
1: So I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, I have had pretty good success. Um, I've helped clients raise over $30 million and I have had, um, I'll have to go look at my hit rate, but it's, it's pretty good. In terms of folks who've been able to get funded after working with me. um, I I would love and with some clients I do stay in touch with them as they continue to grow. Um, I do have one client, for example, who I worked with relatively early on and they recently exited. Um, So that was really gratifying. Although I wasn't heavily involved in that, it was just really nice to see them get to a point where they were, um, where they were acquired. So that was terrific. And I feel like again my my role is to provide the kind of financial expertise that they, necess- they don't necessarily have access to in the early stages and get them in a position so that when they do bring in say a, a highly qualified cfo when they have that person in house that person doesn't have to clean up a lot of <laughs> a lot of what happens now when they don't have help which is their reporting's all over the place don't have any real clear projections and they don't know how to tell a coherent story to the capital sources that they've either already accessed or the ones that they're trying to access.
0: Right. And so I guess you probably don't have too much repeat business then by the sounds of it, unless they're on to the next journey by the sounds of it, right?
1: Right. Exactly. And and again, you know, my I my ideal, and I'm working with a couple of clients now who are relatively early stage. The idea is let's get them through this initial round of funding. Let's help them make sure that they use that as efficiently as possible. And then let's set them up for success for the next round. Right. So some of what, some of the work that we do together is going to continue to serve them. But just like, uh, just like you develop a new marketing campaign, when you have a new, a new better version of your product to sell, that's kind of what you need to do when you're ready to raise a new round of funding, right? Because you're expressing all of that in a very different way than, than when you raise, say, a seed round.
0: Okay. Um so I was gonna ask you just in terms of the when's the software, when do you expect to be able to roll that out to use your the leveraged approach? What's your your plans from that time frame?
1: So where I'm at right now is that I'm focused on the workshops, sort of the the personal leveraged offering initially. And the goal on the software would be to um to have a prototype by the fall that we could start testing. Um, because it is going to be relatively involved. I know it's going to be in development for a while, but the goal is really to find the, the folks who most benefit from using it and then help build it out so that it fits their needs first and then you know, build the ecosystem around it.
0: Okay. And um, how can people get in touch with you?
1: That's a great question. So if they want to hear more or learn more about how I work with people, they can go to stephaniesims.com. Uh, there's information there about my podcast, about my company, which is finance ability.com. And if they want to reach out to me directly, they can get connected to me on LinkedIn. I'm Stephanie J Sims on LinkedIn, or they're welcome to send me an email. Stephanie at finance ability.com.
0: Awesome. Stephanie, thanks so much for sharing your journey and giving some insight into your business and, um, Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much, Peter.
0: Thank you for taking time to listen to the Cash Canucks podcast. You'll be able to find out more about our guests and how to connect with them in the show notes for this episode. Would you like to learn the secret way savvy investors and smart entrepreneurs are turning their expenses into positive cash flow? Then you want to read the Infinite Banking Concept book. For a limited time, I am giving away free copies of this book, valued it at $30. If you want a copy, just email me, Peter, with the subject line book to peter at cashflowconux.ca. Again, if you want a free copy of the Infinite Banking Concept book, just email me at peter at cashflowcanucks.ca with the subject line book and your mailing address and I'll send you a copy. You'll finally understand how the wealthy elite is turning everyday expenses into cash flow. Just email me at peter at cashflowconnucks.ca